0: Good evening and Merry Christmas. Though it's about 50 out there, I'm still dreaming of a white Christmas. (laughs) I don't know that I'm going to get it. I want to begin tonight by reading uh, some letters that some children wrote to Santa. Dear Santa, could you come early this year? I've been really super good, but I don't know if I can last much longer. (laughs) Please hurry, love, Jaden. Another wrote... Mommy says you only bring presents for the good little boys. That isn't fair. (laughs) Signed, Brian. A third row, Dear Santa, you didn't bring me anything good last year. You didn't bring anything good the year before that. This is your last chance. (laughs) Signed, Alfred. (laughs) I'm not sure these kids deserve these gifts. You know, every year we celebrate Christmas and every year we tell the same story, same Christmas story. It doesn't change. It's a story that is basically recorded in two of the New Testament gospel books, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. And when you put their stories together, these two guys lived during the time of Christ. And as you put the stories together, you get just a sense of the whole thing. They tell the story of how this woman who was a virgin, had not been intimate with a man, was found to be with child. And the parents were told that they needed to name the child Jesus because he would save the people from their sin. Really, everything about the birth, though, was kind of difficult. It wasn't the best circumstances. Mary and Joseph arrive in, in the city of Bethlehem, but there's no room for them. And so they end up going to what we would consider to be a barn, or a lot of theologians think it was actually a cave where Jesus was born. And, and that little infant was placed in a, a feeding trough, a manger. Who could have imagined that such a thing could happen? And these authors talk about how there were shepherds in the fields that night. And the sh- angels appeared and announced the birth of this child. Behold, in the town of Bethlehem, A Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. And, and then several months would pass, maybe about a year and a half, and some more visitors show up in Jerusalem. They ask, where is he who's been born, king of the Jews? We saw a star while we were in the east, and we've come to worship him, magi, wise men. Somehow these guys understood that this little baby was both a king but also God in the flesh. And then Matthew also records the story of how Herod the Great tried to kill the baby, and yet God warned Joseph and Mary in a dream, and so they fled to Egypt. And that's, that's kind of the story. It's, I think it's an amazing story. It's action-packed. I enjoy the story, and I personally believe it's true. It's a story that really happened, but it raises the question, why? And why did God do it in this way of all the ways that the Son of God should be born in such a way and come into this world like this? And what I'm hoping that we'll walk away here today is with this, that the Creator became the created so that we could enjoy a relationship with God. Really, that's what the story is about. The creator became the created so that we could enjoy a relationship with God. It's what the incarnation is all about. Now, to understand this, I think we have to go to God's original purpose for creating us in the first place. I don't know if you've ever raised the question in your own mind, but the question is this, why? Why? Why did God create people in the first place? I mean, what was that about? He didn't need to do it, but why did he do it? And, and people could have different answers to this question, but I think the simplest answer is this, that God loves to love. And that God came up with this idea of creating people with whom he would share an eternity, a, a relationship for all of time. And I, I, I'm just amazed at the thought that he'd want to do that. I, I can't understand that. But what I do know is that if we don't realize that, I don't think we can have purpose in life. Because for us to really understand what purpose in life is all about, we've got to kind of know this story of of where we fit in. And and this is all part of God's story. And a lot of people don't understand that. St. Augustine did. He said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. I agree with mathematician and theologian Pascal. He said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus. All of creation kind of points to this. There's a God who wants a relationship with us. In fact, I think all of creation was created for people. It wasn't created for the angels. It wasn't primarily created for other animals. It was created so that we might have a relationship with our creator. But oftentimes, we don't live in that reality. A lot of people go through life oblivious to the idea that maybe God would want to have a relationship with them. Or they don't realize that there's meaning that's found in life when we attach ourselves to one who's greater than we are, that there can be significance in life attached to bigger things than the things of this world. I think too often people don't realize that nothing in this world really satisfies. We reach for a lot of other things, but it doesn't satisfy. Some of us will get older before we'll discover it and we'll realize, you know, it's not about the money and it's not about... Possessions, it's not about the position or the job or the education. It's not even about relationships. We find that all these things will kind of let us down, and, and we realize no, we were created for a relationship with our God. That's why we exist, it's why He made us. And a lot of people try to navigate this life not knowing this or forgetting about this, and they end up being lonely or alone. Our Creator became the created so that we could enjoy a relationship with Him. Is it possible that we're missing out on life because we're not properly connected with our Creator? I want to talk just a little bit about this Creator and how He created us and and then how we bridge that gap between people and the Creator. When I was 11 or 12 years old, my parents got me a microscope. I absolutely loved it. It was Christmas time. It was one of the microscopes that had the little slides, the specimen slides, and, and, you know, there was a slide with some crystals, and there was a slide with the wing of a fly on it and, and other things, and I just, was, I just was fascinated by that as I put it under the microscope in the different times, and it got bigger and bigger, and I saw the detail of it all. I just marveled at it. And things like that, to me, kind of point to, wow, my God did that. I mean, he had this detail I'd never seen before, but it did kind of something inside of me, and I had the exact same effect when I got a, a telescope a few years later. I remember the first time I looked through a telescope and I saw the craters of the moon magnified, and I'd just never seen, I mean, this was like a, a barren orb up there, but then you see it through a telescope and it just kind of comes alive, the detail, and I used to imagine what it would be like to walk on the moon. to realize that my God created this. Of course, you don't need a telescope to have this effect. We can look up into the heavens and just look at the stars. I live outside the city limits and so I can see them at night. Stars everywhere and I, I just look at all that God has created at night. I'm reminded of some words that David penned in Psalm 19. He said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims the work of His hands. All of God's glory is revealed as you look up into that sky and you see it. A few months ago, my wife and I bought a small cabin about two hours from here. And I spent a couple days there last week. And I happened to wake up at 2 o'clock one morning. I was just there alone, and I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was reminded that there was supposed to be a meteor shower that night. And they were saying like three o'clock is the best time. And so I bundled up and I went outside and I stood stood on the back and I looked up into the heavens. I counted 15 of those, as they're called, shooting stars. When I see stuff like that, it just kind of produces within me this like this heart of worship. When I see mountains, it has that effect. When I see the ocean and I stand at the edge there, it has that effect. When I walk through the woods, it has that effect. When I put on scuba gear and I go into the ocean, it has that effect. I see all oh, that God has created. And it's not that it's just interesting. It's that it, it, it reveals something about our God. It reveals something about his heart and how much he loves beauty and how, how much he cares about us. And we learn things about God. Paul wrote about this in Romans 1. In verse 20, he said, God's invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what He has made. In other words, we can know what our God is like by looking what our God has made. And I'm convinced that this entire universe was created because God cares about people. But the most remarkable thing to me about the whole thing is that he wants this this relationship with us, which is what the incarnation was about. It's like the creator wanted to come into this world that he had created to become part of creation in a sense. And he came specifically to bridge the gap so that we could be restored with our creator, that we could have this relationship. The Psalmist David, who was also a king was thinking about some of these things that I'm talking about tonight, and he penned a psalm. It's one of my favorites. It's Psalm 8. He wrote, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. Skipping to verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David was amazed at God. And he was amazed especially that God loved people. He reflected on how awesome creation is but then he began to reflect on what creation said about the creator and then from within that context he began to think about people and david didn't understand what we do how one day this creator would indeed enter the creation that he had made and take on flesh and blood and actually live among us eventually die on a cross for us and to be buried and raised again and return to his father in heaven he had no idea but if we ever wondered whether our creator loved us that is the test there the sign for God so loved the world He sent his son because he identified with people because he wanted a relationship with us so much at this time we're going to sing a song for you it's really a powerful song that makes the point that really all of creation points to God, but it should point us to him as well because I'm convinced without that, we will not have meaning in this life.
1: To the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light And as you speak If the stars were made to worship so the light, if the mountains bow in reverence so. you speak.
0: a boy decided to write a letter to God at Christmas time. His letter began, "Uh, Dear God, I've been a good boy all year, but then he remembered that God's kind of all-knowing, and he couldn't fool God, and so he crumbled up the letter and threw it away, and, and he began to write again. He wrote a second letter, Dear God, I've tried to be a good boy. I really, really have, but then he realized, well, that's not exactly true either. And so he crumbled that one up, and he sat there for a moment, and then he noticed his mom's nativity scene on the mantle, you know, with the figurines of Joseph, Mary, and the baby. And, and he came up with an idea. He went out of the room, he grabbed a small towel and a small shoebox. He came back in and carefully grabbed the figurine of Mary and wrapped it up, and he put it in the shoebox, and then he put the box in the closet. He came back out, sat down at the desk, and he wrote... Dear God, if you ever want to see your mom again, (laughs) it's a kid that realized he had a problem and he also understood he couldn't fix it. And so he resorted to extortion. I think we have a problem as well. That as much as our God, our Creator, wants to have a relationship with us, things have come in the way. Bible calls it sin. It's one of those religious words It just means to miss the mark, but all of us have sinned. We've all rebelled. We've all gone our own way. We've all made mistakes. We've Every one of us, we've all blown it, and the problem is that's the thing that comes between people and a holy God. It's the thing that's in the way, and people have tried to solve it in a variety of different ways because it's been a problem all the way since... Really, the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, it's continued to the present hour. How do sinful people bridge the gap to a holy God? How can we enjoy our Creator? And so they come up with things like, well, maybe if you go to church, that'll do it. Or maybe if I'm a good person, you know, if my good outweighs my bad, then then that'll fix the problem. Or maybe if I follow the golden rule, you know, doing to others as I have them doing to me, maybe that would do it. But I personally have an issue with all of those answers because they don't fix the root problem, which is us. We're the problem. You see, even if you go to church, you're a sinful person who goes to the church. Even if you do good, you also do the bad. And none of us can... None of us can always do what's right anyway, even if from this moment on we try to, and so we we just can't fix the problem, and that's why Jesus came into this world. The creator came into this world taking on flesh and blood to live among us and, and to live a sinless life. It was essential he'd be the son of God and God the son, so he could live this sinless life, eventually go to a cross, and was willing to take upon himself the sin of of the world. The justice of God needed to be served against the sin of the world. God's justice required that, but what if one who'd never sinned would say, I'm willing to take it? And Jesus did do that for us. God declared his own son guilty so he could declare us not guilty. He took our sin upon himself so that the sin would be removed from us and with the sin gone our relationship with our creator could be restored that's that's the story that's what it's about this is how much our creator wants a relationship with us they'd be willing to come in such a way to die in our place and for our sin but how do we receive this it's through faith trust I think a lot of times people don't realize that, what it's really all about or even why Jesus came or what Christmas is about. I read about a woman who was shopping and she was really, really kind of flustered about everything because she was just tired of the lines and tired of the people and she had these packages and she was trying to balance them as the elevator door opened and there were all these people in there, but they, they made room for her and her packages and as the door closed... She said, I don't know who came up with this Christmas thing, but I think they should be arrested, tied, and shot. And some other people kind of nodded in agreement, but one voice in the back said, oh, don't worry about it. They already crucified him. It's what Jesus came to do for us. And when he rose again from the dead, it demonstrated the payment he had made on our behalf was accepted by God. And with sin removed, we begin a relationship with our Creator. I'd like us to bow our heads. Some of you maybe don't know for sure if you've ever put your trust in Christ. In John three sixteen, most famous verse in the Bible, we read, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Whoever puts their trust in him, that's what God is looking for. Will you put your trust in Jesus as the solution to the problem? And if today you realize you need a Savior, you realize you've sinned and and you believe what I'm talking about here tonight, that God sent his son for you to die in your place, I just want to offer a prayer that you can pray in your own heart to God. Pray something along these lines. Dear God, I know I've blown it. I know I sin, and I need a Savior. And I do believe you sent your son Jesus to come into this world, to live a sinless life, and to die on a cross in my place and for my sin but that he rose again from the dead, that you accepted the payment he made on my behalf. And so today, I put my trust in Jesus to be my Savior. Today, I receive him. Today, O Lord, I claim that promise in John 3 where you said whoever believes in him would have eternal life. And So I come to you claiming this in Jesus' name and because of what he did for me. Amen you pray that prayer, I encourage you to let us know about it. Just indicate that you receive Christ or pray to receive Christ. We have some booklets we want to send to you that will just explain it a little bit more. If you're already a Christian here today, though, there's an application for you as well. I think sometimes we live as if Christ had not died for us or that our Creator didn't care so much for us. We live too much in this world and the things of this world and we don't realize we were made for our relationship with our Creator. And when we give ourselves to the things or the stuff or, or we get distracted by anxiety and worry and all these other things, these are all things that take us away. From what God had in his mind, he wants us to walk with him. Our creator went through all of this so that we could enter this relationship with him. And Paul puts it this way, remember that you're citizens of heaven. And so I want to encourage you to focus on that relationship and realize this is the heart of God, our creator, that we, we cling to him and we find meaning and purpose in him.